Hello and welcome to This Is How You Heal season two premiere. My name is Yada. I'm gonna be so transparent and so honest. I recorded this video like 600 times and I have been going crazy. When I tell you like I had this whole outfit planned and I did a whole backdrop, it was in my office and it was just a lot and I had a script. I still kind of have some notes that I'm looking at but I was watching it and I was like, you're talking about authenticity and you're not being authentic at all. I'm gonna talk to you as if you are literally a friend of mine in my living room and we're just gonna have this conversation. Now, thank you so much for coming to season two's premiere. I am so excited to get started. Season two is going to be all about personal development. Season one was such a success and I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful to everybody who listened and everyone who is choosing to tune in and watch me on YouTube now because season two is all about personal development and a little bit about me, my own version of personal development is this. You are watching it. My ability to get behind a camera and allow you into my space, allow you into my world and actually expose myself to the world is a big deal for me. So I am learning how to conquer that by doing this. So we're doing this together. Now, I'm going to be looking at my computer every now and then to like read some notes, so please don't judge me for that, but this is where we're at, we're learning. I'm a person who loves scripting, so I'll script a bunch of stuff and I'll try to be very like authentic with the way that I speak, but um, I just want to stay on track because I have a tendency to derail a lot. So. With that being said, let's get started. So in this episode, we're going to talk about identity because to me, personal development for my story really comes from me being able to develop my own personal identity. So the first topic we're going to discuss is identity after control. When you come from a controlling background, whether that be a controlling family, controlling community, a controlling relationship, it does not matter. But this system of control that has you um, under a microscope, that puts you in this box, that tells you this is what you can think, this is what you can believe in, this is how you can look, this is who you can marry, this is what you can do, this is when you can leave, this is when, like literally telling you exactly to a T who you are supposed to be. And if you do not fall in line with exactly what they want you to do, then they will use guilt and shame and manipulation tactics against you, which is a form of, an emo of emotional control, to make sure that you never branch out and express yourself the way that you're supposed to. Now, before we talk about identity after control, I want to talk about identity period. You know, it took a lot for me to learn that identity is so complex and I want to break it down into three pieces, just three parts, because this is what helped me dig deeper and release and learn and grow and develop myself into the woman that I am today. I look at identity in three parts. The first part is my highest self. That's my consciousness. That's my awareness. That's my soul. That's like who I, in, in essence, that's who I actually am. Um, then there's my inner child. My inner child is the part of me that has experienced trauma, the part of me that through her little eyes like physically watched the problems happen to her in front of her face, right? And then the third part is my shadow or my ego. And my shadow I see is 
the person that is trying to protect my inner child. So what do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. Now, if my inner child has a um, has had an experience with being put down, not heard, not listened to, the minute myself, my adult self, feels like I'm not being heard or listened to, instead of reacting from my higher self, my shadow will come up out of the woodwork and try to make sure that it is protecting my inner child. How? With a defensive mechanism. So if I'm not being heard, I'm going to make sure you hear me and I'm going to be rude. I'm going to be loud. I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that my voice gets heard, right? So when you think about your inner child as the part of you that has experienced the trauma, and then you think of your shadow self or your ego as the part of you that is trying to protect you and keep this barrier to make sure that your inner child doesn't get hurt. And then you have your higher consciousness, your actual being, like the part of you that is um, of your highest potential, like that has complete control over her emotions, has complete control over her thoughts and understands that thoughts are fleeting and emotions are fleeting and we'll get into that. But essentially that helps you break down identity in a way of like recognizing key behaviors from your day to day whether that's in your relationships, at work, or within yourself, the most important relationship of all. Now, something that I make my clients do and something that I did myself that was so helpful is I made a list and on that list, I wrote inner child, I wrote shadow, and I put higher self. And I wrote a list of all the ways in which my inner child shows up. So like, what are your core wounds that, that are triggered? Um, is it a fear of abandonment? That's something your inner child may have experienced. Neglect, that's something that your inner child may have experienced. Um, feeling unsafe physically, feeling unsafe emotionally. Um, whatever it may be, you write that down. Then you write down, right next to it in the shadow self list, you write down in what ways does your shadow try to protect that version of you. So what's the maladaptive um, behavior that is showcased to protect your inner child? So if I have a fear of abandonment, then my shadow self is going to be very anxiously attached and very codependent in relationships. That's like personally, that's something that I have gone through. I've noticed that um, attachment issues can stem from not being seen, not being heard, feeling neglected, um, feeling like you were unlovable unless you hit a certain kind, a type of criteria. And as soon as you look at those two lists, you're able to recognize it in your everyday behavior, right? You're able to look at it and be like, okay, um, I wrote this down, like, I'm acting this type of way, this isn't me, this isn't my highest self, this is my inner child, this is my shadow self. And you become more conscious and more aware of the present moment instead of living in your head 24-7, which is such a big problem that we come into sometimes. We have a tendency to overthink and be in our head and think that our thoughts are actually ours. I know you've probably heard this so many times before, but it's so important to reiterate it until you believe it. But you are not your thoughts. You are never your thoughts. 
You are the awareness behind your thoughts. Now, if I'm feeling anxious, am I anxiety itself or am I conscious of the fact that I am anxious? I am the awareness behind the anxiety. I recognize that I am anxious, therefore I am not anxiety itself. I'm experiencing it. And one thing that has helped me um, develop a sense of peace was meditation and prayer. The ability to find complete quiet and complete peace within yourself is when you're able to allow the thoughts to happen and just let them go. Because nothing is forever. Those thoughts don't stay forever. So you're able to just watch them happen and let them go. So now that I talked about identity a little bit, now I can actually talk about identity after control. What do I mean by identity after control? When you come from a collectivistic community, when you come from a survival mode, actually forget survival mode, we'll talk about that in a minute. When you come from a collectivistic community, especially as a woman, there's a tendency for identities to be put on you. And you are told what you can look like, how you can dress, what you can believe in, what you can't believe in, what you have to, how, what you can speak, what you can't speak, how you can act, how you can't act. Like your identity is told to you. Like this is who you are. Like this is, this is what you must fall into. And if you don't, then the people that are closest to you will turn against you by gaslighting you, by using guilt and using shame to emotionally abuse you, to make you feel some type of way to, until they coerce you into their way of living. So you're no longer the main character. You're a side character in their story, right? Which brings me to part two, expression as liberation. This was such a big transformation for me. You know, as an artist, I expression has always been everything. When I was a little girl, it was dancing um, and music and singing, even though I can't sing and I'm tone deaf, but I don't care and I love it. And then when I noticed I couldn't pursue singing the way that I wanted to, I started picking up different musical instruments and practicing songs here and there on the piano, the guitar, the ukulele. And then I got into um, music poetically. I'm really, really, really big on 90s music, like 90s hip hop and R&B and rap music. And when I discovered that, that is when I was like, this isn't music, this is poetry. This is a revolution. This is like, these words are speaking to my soul, especially as a Palestinian. Like when you go through um, knowing that your identity is tied to like apartheid and occupation and like war and genocide and racism and hate and all these things that are happening. And you hear these black creators who are speaking of similar stories and you're just like identifying with it and you're seeing the lyricism and you're seeing the way that they're able to like, like there's different counts to a beat and how each word and each syllable is broken down. And I was just like, whoo. That's nice. That's beautiful. And after that, I was like, I want to collect music. Like, I just want to collect a bunch of vinyls. So I started collecting vinyls of like old school um, music and um, 
then that led me to writing music and I realized that I couldn't turn it into a melody. So I was like, I guess I'm going to become a poet. So I got into, uh, really, really, really got into like Def Jam, Def Jam poetry. Um, Lauren Hill, Erica Badu, Kanye West, like all of these phenomenal people, Amir Suleiman, like I watched Shihan, like I, <laughs> I watched all of them and I was just in tears, in awe, like I just felt it. So I was like, I want to do this. So I started writing poetry and I started performing at open mics here and there within my community and people were really fucking with it. Like people were really about it. Like they were so about it that I started getting invited to these like big events. And now I'm performing in front of like 10 to 20,000 people at these conferences. I'm getting booked out of state. I'm getting booked at these schools and these functions and all these places that are paying for my flights. They're paying for my hotel room. And I'm like in early 20s and I'm like, oh my God, what is going on? This is the best thing in the world until... I fell into a really toxic space where I had a lot of unhealthy people around me, very unhealthy relationships and friendships around me. Um, and I lost that part of me. I lost that expression. So I decided it was time for me to go back to school. I went back to school to get my master's degree in clinical psychology. And I was like, I want to get back into poetry. Nothing gave me life the way that poetry did. And I tried, but something about it, it just didn't hit anymore. So slowly I started getting into art and I started creating these beautiful pieces and all these people started reaching out and asking me to buy my artwork. And I was like, okay, like, why am I doubting myself so much? There is magic in this. I can create something. I can create. And it was something about that type of expression and recognizing that I'm able to create something that gave me my power back. I was able to think to myself and be like, why am I around people that are jealous of me? Why am I around people that put me down? Why am I around people that make me feel small? Why am I around people that, I'm sorry, like, are not good people. Like, if you are mean, if you are evil towards people, why are you around me? And why are you saying these things about me that I know are not true? And I remember I was listening to this YouTube video and I wish I could remember who it was, but she was basically explaining our power as a woman. And I was thinking, I was just so down, like especially like just being in such toxic relationship, losing a lot of friends, um, just being put down by community and surrounding environment for like, you know, what I can and can't be. And I was just down. I was just down. Like I'm touching my stomach right now because I can feel it. I remember it. It was like the pit of my stomach. I was just down. And this video was talking about the divinity of women. The fact that we are an extension of the grand creator. If God was able to create everything, if God is the universe, able to create out of triple darkness, and we have a portal to the spirit realm in our bodies, I am able to create a human being in my body and have life, a soul be, be, you know, breathed into me and I can bring a child into this world. 
who the fuck are you talking to? Like, for real. Like, why are you talking to me crazy? Who are you? At that point, I'm just like, oh, you can't touch me. Like, you ain't shit. Like, every single man that has ever done anything, like, bogus or stupid, I was like, I created you. Like, please. And, like, all jokes aside, for real, I had to remind myself of my power. I had to remind myself of the beautiful pieces of who I am. I had to remind myself that my energy cannot be found anywhere else. There will never be another Yada, ever. The same way that there will never be another you, ever. I can never be who you are and you can never be who I am. So I started finding my own space within my own authenticity. So it took expression, me being able to express myself, to liberate myself, to be like, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. One, through being authentic and being my truest self, but also it led me to know that like these identities that are being placed on me are not mine. You want me to dress like this? I don't want to dress like this. I can't, I don't connect with this way. Like if I feel like this is how I wanna dress, this is how I wanna dress. And no hate, I think there's beauty in every single other way, but it's just not for me. If you want me to believe exactly in the, in the way that you believe, I can't. I can't. I believe how I choose to believe. That's my prerogative. You want me to marry and look like and dress like and be like and whatever our community kind of puts on us as, as young, you know, um, Arab Muslim women. And it's kind of like, this is making me sad. Like the amount of anxiety and depression and stress that I was under, I hated myself. I had no self-confidence. I had no sense of self. I had no idea like what I was other than who I was to someone else. Hmm. Hold on, did you hear that? I had no idea who I was other than who I was to somebody else. So guess where all my validation is gonna come from? Not me. Not from in here. My validation is going to come from external, from everybody else. Turn up the people-pleasing tendencies on 10. So this brings me to the third part, which is finding yourself through intention, authenticity, and intuition. I know I talked about authenticity, so we can leave that part out. But strengthening intention and intuition. I started to think back to the relationships and friendships I was in, and I was disgusted. I was so angry. I was like, how could they? How could they do this? How could I put myself in this situation? How can I deal with such low lives? And I was just angry. And then I came to a space, I'm like laughing because now it's like the complete opposite. Now I can think back and completely understand why I was around those people because I was on the same vibrational energy as those people. You start to recognize that like, for example, if you are codependent and anxiously attached and you are like the chaser, life is about balance, right? Everything is in balance. With light comes dark, with black comes white, yin and yang, right? Everything is in balance. The idea of karma, what you put out comes back to you codependency, attachment, chaser, runner, dismissive avoidant, 
narcissistic, whatever you want to call it, right? I, these uh, Western uh, terms sometimes I try to stray, stray away from, but um, yeah, like you're, there's a reason, like they are mirroring you in a way. So instead of me looking at this person as this evil person, I see them in their humanness. I see them for what they are in the universality of, I don't know if that's a word, but the universality of the entire situation. Like me and this person are playing a dance within this bigger life lesson that I have to learn. You have attachment issues and you need to work through it. And this person is mirroring and spitting it right back at you and you are not listening to me. The universe is telling me you are not listening to me. So I learned how to view things through my higher self instead of viewing things from my ego. Because my ego wants revenge. My ego wants to punch them straight, like just dead in the face. My ego wants to fight. Like my ego is is not the part of me that should be leading that's not the part of me that should be in the driver's seat my higher self that understands that thank you for the lesson good luck i'm up here completely unrelated to where they are you know wishing them the same peace that i have come into that is your higher self um intention Growing your identity through intention. I think after you work through those three parts of your identity and you're able to recognize the parts of you that need to be released and the parts of you that you would like to hold on closer to, intention is really helpful for the parts of your higher self that you would like to hold on closer to. So for example, the way that I set my intention is every single morning I have a routine um, for my physical body get my CMOS and my vitamins and like I have like a whole course of like what I do. And then for my spiritual, my mental, my emotional body, I set my intention. So I make a prayer. I say every single morning, I set my intention for a peaceful day. I set my intention to complete this project that I have to complete at work. I set my intention to not be beside myself today because I'm feeling a little anxious. I'm setting my intention to go to the lake and go to my yoga class. I am set whatever it is for that day, I am speaking it into existence. And that's something else that I learned. The idea of manifestation or da'a or prayer or whatever you want to call it, whatever your background deems fit. The idea of using verbal vibrational energy that you are putting out into the world to speak it into existence. The positivity that comes out of your mouth that you are waiting for it to return to you. You need to practice that every single day. Every single day. The first, before I started the whole intention thing, I really was only doing affirmations. I do affirmations now, but not as much. But I was saying things like, you're safe, you're beautiful, you're this. And I had to, I had to say those things because I didn't believe in them at all. Until you come to a place where you start to believe it and your energy kind of rises, like your, your nature is a little bit more like secure and that's when the intention starts being spoken into existence. 
And your intention can even be like, I int my intention today is to live as the person that I have spoken affirmations over. Whatever it is. Last but not least is soul purpose over everything. Something that has helped me get to where I am today with my company 717, with my podcast, This Is How You Heal, with my job that I am working in right now and absolutely loving, with my life in general that is a work in progress, but that's what it's always going to be, right? It's always going to be growing more and more and more and more. I had to tell myself that my purpose matters more than what other people's purpose for me matters. Hold on. My purpose for myself means way more than what other people's purpose for me is. So in somebody else's world, they think completely differently. So if you're, um, for example, like if your parents want you to marry a person from a specific like village from your country and it has to be this person, or if your parents have very set expectations that you have to go to med school or lawyer or whatever the immigrant story is, and they have these set expectations on you, you're afraid of disappointing them because you are not becoming the person that they want you to be. Because in their head, in their environment, how they were raised, where they're at, they think that is exactly, that is the best thing you can do for yourself. But do they know what it feels like to be you in your shoes every single day, to have gone through everything that you have gone through and to process everything that you process in your head till this day? What actually makes you happy maybe is not what makes them happy. So are you going to continue to choose somebody else's purpose and living somebody else's life and refusing to be the main character of your own story and being a side character in their story? At what point do you just say, fuck all this shit and tear it all down? Because like that's how revolutions happen. People get sick of that shit and they just go crazy. And before you start telling me, well, I don't know what my sole purpose is, and that's such a big thing, and I don't know what I want to do, and you don't figure it out, you don't chase it, you attract. I don't chase anything. You attract. There's parts of me that may be um, developing and not developed that may fall into that space sometimes, but I'm working on it because I know the woman that I am. And I know the principles and the values that I stand on. But when you chase a passion, that doesn't make any sense. You have to attract it. You have to just be authentic. How do you attract it? You have to just be authentic. You have to just go with the flow of life and just allow yourself to do the things that you want to do, the things that make sense, the things that you know are in alignment with your highest self, with your truest self. Like this feels right. And little by little, you'll notice that it'll slowly start coming to you. You don't have to run to get it. You don't have to fight to get it. Yes, there's going to be discipline and dedication and all of these things, but it's not going to be painful. It may be difficult and it will be difficult, but it won't ever be painful. It'll always feel right. 
Thank you so much for listening to my story. Thank you so much for joining the first episode of season two, This Is How You Heal. I really hope that you were able to get something out of this. I hope that you were able to feel something. I hope that my intention being set that I wanted to help somebody, at least one person from this episode. I really hope I was able to do that. Please tune in for our next episode um, in two weeks. We're going to have an episode every two weeks just so we can get everything together nicely. And we will have our first special guest. Thank you so much and have a great day.